0: Welcome to season three of the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. Today is a Good Day is here to be a resource for you. We share personal stories from families who have been there, important advice from medical professionals, opportunities to focus on self-care and more. Please don't forget to hit subscribe, share this episode with anyone who might find it helpful, and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. Every NICU experience is different, even when babies are born at the same gestational age. Today, we are speaking with the Goldsmith family who welcomed their NICU miracles at just 23 weeks and five days. They have a powerful story to share with you about navigating the ups and downs of the NICU all the way to starting kindergarten this fall. If you have any concerns about how to navigate the NICU and what seeing your NICU miracles start their educational journey with kindergarten looks like, this episode is for you. Welcome, Jennifer and Craig. Thank you for being here today with us.
1: Thanks for having us.
2: Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, so tell us a little bit about your family's journey to starting a family.
1: Oh, um, well, Craig and I, our journey was probably not dissimilar to a lot of people. There were some fertility issues for us, so we went a different route, but we felt pretty happy that we figured out those issues at the beginning. So because of that and because of my advanced maternal age, uh, we were followed pretty closely by doctors all throughout the pregnancy. And it really was going swimmingly until it wasn't. Um, we had some uh, some issues that we were concerned about. We went into the, the ER and then up to the maternity ward to be looked at the Christmas Eve, was Christmas it? Christmas Eve. That year. And... Um, And they sent us home. They did a three-prong test to see if there was any amniotic fluid leaking. Everything looked good. And they sent us home. I felt like I had a flu the rest of the weekend. Um, And then it got worse, basically. Uh, What I didn't realize, because we hadn't gotten far enough into the pregnancy to do any kind of Lamaze or those kind of classes, was I was in labor. Um, the pains that I thought were gas pains were labor. We got to the hospital at what time in the morning? Maybe 5.30 or 6 o'clock. And, uh, and the boys were delivered around 7.30 um, that morning at, as you said, 23 weeks and five days. So it was entirely too early for them to be on this side of the womb. But um yeah, that's kind of what the journey looked like for us.
0: And what did that feel like getting into the NICU? I mean, did you have family or friends who had navigated the NICU before? Or did you know anything about it? No, we really
1: didn't. Um, ironically enough, I started my nonprofit career with uh, the March of Dimes. And so I knew what a micro preemie was, but I had never, ever been that close to uh, a NICU or micropremies.
0: And how did your NICU journey start off? I mean, tell us a little bit about your story with your boys through the NICU. What did it look like? What did you
2: face? I I mean, for the first day, you know, Jennifer had to have an emergency C-section. So I went down and I met with the director of the NICU, and he was very blunt about what the possibilities of an outcome were with the boys. Um, White males, 23 weeks, twins. Um, very low odds, um, survival and lots of other challenges that go with it. Um, it was super scary. It was a lot of beeping, a lot of tubes, isolates, um, terms I had never heard of or terms I, you know, if I casually heard of, I'd never really associated with anything personally to me because I, I didn't live that life. I didn't, I didn't know that world. It's a secret world that like, once you're there, you're like, whoa, this is a real big deal. Um, and it's traumatic.
0: mm mm-hmm. And how were you feeling at the time, Jennifer?
1: Well, I was out of it for a few hours, and, um, and they had to take me to the NICU in a wheelchair the first time. Um, so yeah, looking back, it's interesting. When I remember first seeing the boys in their isolates, as Craig said, with all those tubes and wires, they still looked beautiful to me.
0: Mm-hmm. You are allowed to get emotional. Anytime, anytime, my friend. Yes.
1: (laughs) They, you know, their eyes were still fused shut. They didn't have nails on their fingers or toes. Uh, There were a lot of things that weren't there, but they were still just gorgeous boys. Uh, But it was definitely frightening. Um, And the journey that we thought we'd have was just uh, a memory. And we didn't really, we weren't given the time to mourn that because, we didn't even have a chance to come up with a birth plan, let alone um, miss that birth plan, but it certainly wasn't that. It wasn't It wasn't leaving your child at the end of the, the day in a NICU when you went home. I actually ended up in the hospital for about a week, but I recall vividly leaving the hospital and leaving our boys behind. Mm-hmm. And as, as Craig went, to get the car, and he was pulling around for me. There was a mom and a dad walking out with two car seats, and they were taking their twins home. And it was it was just, it was traumatic. Mm -hmm. It really was. And how old are your boys now? They are, they're almost
0: six. They'll be six in December. And the reason I ask that is because I think it's so important for those of us who have been through the NICU journey to remember that we're all emotional yeah. even 6 years later and almost 11 years later that it never leaves you and no. those who still have those moments of tears and just thinking back
1: that you are not alone yeah you're so right others. you're so right about that. that the other thing that's right under the surface is still that gratitude for those nurses who I still see their faces you leave you leave your kids with them every night and they love them just as much as you do yes
0: yeah, and tell us a little bit more about your story with your boy. Some of the I know you had a roller coaster ride of a NICU. So talk to us a little bit about Gavin's journey. Sure.
1: Um, Craig, as many people do throughout the NICU journey, we get hooked on watching those monitors. And thank God my husband did because he noticed some things that he drew the doctor's attention to, and it, it really saved Gavin's life.
2: Yeah, his heart rate was elevated. For a day or so, and it it and it's not unusual for those numbers to climb up and down during an acute journey um uh, but this was consistently high heartbeat, and the nurse was there and i and I kept saying to her, "Look, his heartbeat's really high, his heartbeat's really high. Can we have a doctor look at it?" It was the weekend, and none of our regular docs are on. It was an on call doc and then finally he got uh, you know engaged and he noticed it too um they started to him full of antibiotics right away because they suspected maybe something was going on. And then, you know, the worst that we could ever hear happened is mm-hmm. um, he probably had medical neck, which was when I first came on and I went to that, uh, went walked in the NICU for the first time. The first thing the director said to me was the thing you don't want to hear the most is you don't want to hear medical neck. Mm-hmm. Those are the two words you don't want to hear. Well, of course, those are the two words we did hear and it was a, a panic after that. Um, and just a whirlwind of choices, what had to happen, the transfer.
0: And so talk to us about the transfer. What did that look like? You had twin boys. One now was looking as though he had to be transferred to another hospital. Mm-hmm. How did you make that decision together to say, yes, we do need to do the
1: transfer mm-hmm. and we're going to have our other son here? Mm-hmm. That was an agonizing decision. I remember every single minute of that day, um, we knew that if, so with necrotizing enterocolitis, neck, Uh, if Gavin were to have a a perforated... Val, thank you. Uh, not a doctor, but I play a neonatologist yes, on TV. We learn a lot. Through we
0: do journey. We've we learn a lot of terms you might not know otherwise. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so if he perfed the the hospital that we were in would not have been able to do that surgery on such a tiny baby. Uh, they they let us know that where they usually send the babies that would need that was one hospital. We didn't necessarily have to go to that hospital, so it was kind of just. A day in fast forward for us trying to figure out and make that decision because, yes, we needed to decide that important decision, but we also knew that that the move itself, the transport, was extremely dangerous for a baby that size and, and in a condition so fragile. So um, would he even survive the transfer was top of mind for us. We didn't really even give any thought to um what the journey would look like for the rest of the NICU time of, of having two kids and two NICUs. But, yeah, that was not an easy choice for us.
2: No, not at all. And how
0: did you manage having two boys in two different hospitals? I mean, that that scheduling and figuring that out and trying to be two places at once, how would you figure it out?
1: Yeah, I um, – I decided to take a few weeks off to recover from the C-section, but I put my maternity leave off until the boys were home, being hopeful. And um, and so Craig and I were able to work at home. Both of us were in home offices at the time, thank God. Um, and we kissed each other goodbye at the end of our work days and went to one hospital or the other, and then we'd swap Every other day to to make sure that the boys were seen on most days, um, but yeah, we started out not that way. We started out trying to see both boys every night, and we realized pretty quickly we were going to burn ourselves out, and it it wouldn't give either of them what they needed.
2: Right,
0: yeah. and it wasn't sustainable. No, I think that, and that's great advice from someone who has truly walked the walk. Yeah, through having two kids in two different. Hospitals, and mm-hmm. we talk a lot about advocating for your baby, which I think for families can be very intimidating, right working with medical team members, mm-hmm. trying to understand the language, just uh, like we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But how did you all speak up for um your sons and advocate for them the best that you could?
2: Well, you know when Gavin first went um the medical director called us that day the next day. And said, look, your baby has a minimal chance of survival. She was very blunt on the phone. And that just was like a hammer beating both of us on the head. And we're like, well, we can't be here. We have to go get in front of her mm-hmm. and advocate for these kids. Um, because over the phone is very impersonal. Um, kind of like what she did with us. And mm-hmm.
1: so we raced on we down. down. We, we
2: scheduled an emergency family meeting. Mm-hmm. And we said, look, this child is going to survive. How do you plan on making that happen? Right, Um, and every step of the way, advocating after that became just like that. I just like that memory. I'd use that to drive me. Um, And and I tell a funny anecdotal story: is we went to Paris as a baby moon um, in November of twenty thirteen. Well, everybody remembers. I'm sorry, November twenty fifteen. Well, coincidentally, it's a Friday the thirteenth. But November the thirteenth in Paris was that giant attack, and we should have been around the area of that attack. Um, but Jennifer wasn't feeling well with the twins that evening. And so we stayed at our hotel instead. It was our night before we left on the plane. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, if they, if they saved our lives like that, the least we could do is give everything and force everybody that they could, you know, to get there and and do what they have to do and like really try their best for these kids. Because I believe that was a sign that, you know, we had to do everything we could um, for their lives. Mm -hmm. It's literally for their lives.
1: Yeah, and Martha, you know, um, the advocating for these kids starts even before they're born because mm-hmm. you have decisions to make uh, when you know you're going into labor at 23 weeks. Um, so, yeah, that advocating starts immediately. And I really feel like for most parents at some point or another in their life, they're doing that advocating for their kids, but we started even before they took their first breath um, fighting for them. Mm-hmm. So
0: Yeah, uh, thank you all for sharing that, uh, sharing your story with us and just talking about those specific moments because I think advocating can be really hard and asking a ton of questions, right? I mean, just, yeah. and I'm sure you all asked so many questions during yep. your NICU journey. And did you journal? Yeah. Right? Yes.
1: Yeah. In fact, in preparation for this, I pulled out my Today is a Good Day oh. journal. <laughs> um, most of it, I'll admit, was for um, when the boys were separated in two different hospitals that's when I really started to journal more. And a lot of it had to do with those specifics that you were called with every day. What is the heart rate? What What's their weight today? You know, all those important things that you need to know and what are the problems of the day that we're dealing with? Um, but yeah, journaling definitely helped me for certain. Um, and one more note on the advocating and, and feeling comfortable as a non-medical professional um try to stay away from Dr. Google as much yes. as you can, but for us, we were fortunate enough that when Gavin was faced with a possible surgery, we had the doctors and nurses at a different hospital to talk to about it. Um, we decided, and it really was our decision, to keep the boys at two separate hospitals because Declan was getting what he needed at Abington, just feed and grow kind of a, a neonatal experience. Um, Whereas Gavin Gavin needed something more. But those doctors at Abington helped us to figure out some hard decisions we had. And we advocated a lot for Gavin um, with their advice and just reminded them, you know, we're the final decision here. So,
0: As you face medical procedures, surgeries for your boys, what did that look like for you with expectations on recoveries. And the, the reason I say that, I remember Claire went through laser eye surgery. Mm-hmm. Our expectations were that she was going to recover very quickly from that. She did not. Oh. It set us back at least a week in her recovery, which was very hard on sure. us sure because it's, it wasn't our expectation. With the surgeries that you all faced, what did that look like? How did you work together to get through it?
2: Mm-hmm. Um. You know, as far as Declan is concerned, um he had a pretty easy road. But then again, like like what you were saying when he had his r o p surgery, retinopathy of prematurity, um, he was set back because he was set to set to go on a nice path home. Also, he had a double inguinal hernia, so he had to get transferred to St. Christopher for another surgery um at the same time that Gavin had a rhostomosis um because after the medical neck, he strictured and had to have a surgery then. I don't know how we came to these decisions or how we handled it we just knew I mean a lot of it is gut feeling mm-hmm. you know there's I mean right I don't know how we handled it um it was super stressful and you know we felt like whatever we needed to do in the moment if it was right we would okay that and some things you know the stricture was emergent um some of the other things were non-emergent but instead of having ROP we had Avastin shots I mean there's I can't even...
1: Yeah. Gavin also, for for us, that the day of the, as our surgeon referred to it, the Goldsmith of Palooza, day of surgery, um, because he he performed surgery on both of the boys, um, that surgery for me, for Gavin, when he had the bowel reattached, and even when he had the first surgery to remove the stricture, I went into it, my expectations were probably a little more gloomy than they should have been. I I wasn't as hopeful as I really should have been because his journey wasn't super high on the roller coasters. It was a lot more dips than highs. and um, But I was seriously very worried after the second surgery because he had finally come off breathing support and that took a long time for Gavin to do. Um, And so I was so worried about him needing to be intubated again for the surgery and how long it would take to come off. But he surprised us with that one and came off a lot quicker than we had hoped. That was a good day in the NICU. That That was was a very good good day. (laughs) Craig, I want to talk to you
0: a little bit about your experience as a dad going through the NICU. What did that look like for you? Did you know anyone who experienced it? And as you look ahead and talk to other dads, what advice would you have for them?
2: Well, I'll start with the first question. I, I didn't know anybody that ever went through the NICU, um, so it was pretty traumatic, and it's it's kind of you're on your own. Um, it, it's an experience like no others. Um, very few people go through it, and most of the people that we knew, you know, they had the pregnancy, they had their babies. I mean, some might have had them early, but not to a point of, like, 142 days in a NICU early. Um what advice would I give? I mean, just be super supportive. Like you're going through stuff too. Take care of yourself. Um, eat right. Breathe. Because it's a very long time. Like breathe. I, I, I mean, I, I'm good at the advice now, but at the time I was very anxious. What do I do next? And everybody would say, it's, you know, it's one day at a time. So you take your good days and you run with that um, because it is a very long journey, it's especially for the long-haul NICU babies like ours. Um, uh, yeah, just take really good care of yourself. Have some patience. Be supportive of your spouse. I mean, she had to do a lot. Jennifer had to not only go to two NICUs, but she also had to pump for the babies. Like, a lot falls on the mother that the dads can't do. Um, so you have to under, be understanding of that. And um, just be supportive of I mean, we would rush to get to the NICU so we could get in a pumping room before shift change so I could, we could be there um, before the shift change so that we could see our kids. You know, you just have to be supportive of that and understanding of that. And I would just take that time to work on myself. I'd walk around Abington Hospital. I remember many nights like walking around Abington or St. Chris, getting steps in, just trying to exercise to feel better, to get that stress out because it is, Very stressful.
0: It seems like such a simple reminder, Mm -hmm. but it is so important to breathe. Yeah. And we actually have an episode in season two of the Today's Good Day podcast focused all around breathing. Nice. And exercises to help with stress reduction because it is so important. And it's not something that you think about when you're navigating through the NICU, one, self-care, how important it is. Right. But also something as simple as just taking a minute to take a deep breath Mm -hmm. and to reset. With your boys, they ended up being in the same hospital
1: at the end of your NICU journey. Mm-hmm. But did they come home on the same day? They didn't. Um, and that was also not such a, a great experience. But um, but we were blessed to bring Declan home on Mother's Day of that year, which was pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, to, to leave Gavin behind, it was just another 10 days, but it was not... A great feeling it shouldn't have it wasn't as happy as it should have been to bring Declan home. Um, but we knew that Gavin needed a, a little more time, just another week or so to get where he needed to be. and in the end, it did give us a little time to kind of ease into parenthood of of twins. Um, but yeah, uh, going home with Declan
2: was a beautiful day and and a sad day at the same time. you know, I remember the stress of. Having Declan in the house and the quiet, Mm. the quiet of no monitors, no tubes, Mm -hmm. um, nobody calling for a baby that's in distress um, or not breathing. Um, And so that was hard to get used to because like, you know, that was on us. Um, I mean, I will say the one good thing about being in NICU is they became NICU sleep trained. And so four or five (laughs) hours gap of sleep was wonderful. Um, especially for her, because she'd have to get up and feed them. Mm-hmm. So that part of it was nice. but it's, you know, that part, again, that is stressful and leaving another baby behind. where again, we're not rotating hospitals, but we're rotating from the house where one parent can go and one parent can't. Mm-hmm. Um, still, you want your family together. And that's just not the way you know you want your family to start out
0: we We talk a lot about the NICU being a chunk of time, mm-hmm. a chapter right? And Mm -hmm. then you graduate from the NICU and you go to this new chapter, which includes early intervention and other therapies. What did it look like for your family after Declan and Gavin came home from the NICU?
1: Yeah. Craig um, did an amazing job of engaging with early intervention shortly after we got home from the NICU and arranged those evaluations to happen in our home. Um, We really We counted on the advice of the social workers in the hospitals, and they really led us down the right path where that was concerned. We engaged very quickly, and we got the boys the services that they need, Um, but that was also a lot. So yeah, the NICU was a chapter, but then you go right into the busyness of all of the follow-up specialist appointments and... Remember, those specialists are from two different hospitals, um, and so lots of travel around with the boys for the appointments. Um, and then the appointments of the therapists coming into your home pre-COVID, they would do that. And uh, and so it was physical therapy and occupational therapy. didn't happen immediately, but shortly after. And there was a special instructor that would come as well. And eventually speech therapy was added too. So, yeah, it... Um, it was the beginning of a new chapter and still just as busy and just as stressful, but we were so grateful that we got to bring them home. And we brought them home with no tubes or wires, which doesn't really happen too often. So we, we definitely were still
2: counting our blessings, yeah.
0: And what therapies do the boys have now that they are going through?
2: So they have speech, OT, PT, special instruction. They were both diagnosed with autism two years ago, so we get a bunch of ABA therapy as well. And these, are, these take place in school as well as Jennifer and I sought um, extra speech therapy and um, sensory-based OT. It's a lot of therapy. And what is ABA? Uh, applied Behavioral Analysis. It's what the standard is for autism, for, for lack of a better word, how they train kids to behave properly with autism. Uh, And how do you all navigate through all these therapies together?
1: It's stressful. Calendar. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A really big calendar we have in our kitchen. Huge dry erase calendar in the kitchen for sure. Um, And, you know, they're starting a a new chapter again in the fall. And so some of those things will not take place or they'll take place in a different way. Um, And we just have to keep rolling with it and, and making sure we get them what they need.
0: And can we say this new chapter? It's a big milestone. It is. NICU parents Huge. celebrate every milestone, right? So, do you want to share what the the big milestone is?
1: Kindergarten,
0: yes. here we come! Oh, <laughs> what a milestone to reach! Mm-hmm. When you think about twenty three weekers making yeah. it to kindergarten, yeah, we feel the same. Yeah, I mean, it's just an amazing, mm-hmm. amazing accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So, when you look back on your NICU journey. What is one piece of advice you would give to other families who are going through a a similar
2: experience? You know, relax, uh, but also advocate when you need to. Those are the two things I could say, because it's a very long journey, especially if, depending on how premature your children are, you know, that's everything, it's all the words that people said to us at the time, I just waved them off, but it turned out to be true. They're going to be here a long time, they're going to have highs and lows, They're going to take two steps forward and one step back it's going to be a huge roller coaster ride that you're going to get sick of and and all those things were true
0: (laughs) yes um yes
2: but the other thing is you know you have to advocate for your kids because if you feel something's wrong speak up and ask just ask questions nobody's gonna be mad at you for asking i think they would be more concerned if you didn't ask everything and just assumed everything was okay because how engaged would they really think you were as a parent if you never said anything Um, And that's not judgmental. It just means, you know, you just have to you really have to be engaged and kind of advocate for them because there's so much to do, especially premature kids uh, have a lot of issues that neuro, you know, uh, full term babies. Some will have, but majority do not.
0: And not being scared to ask the questions. It's right. so important. Yeah. Every, every time you don't understand something. I mean, think about the terminology you all just used in this brief time that we've been mm-hmm. having this conversation. Right. You didn't know what those words meant, right, before you went through it. And I'm sure it was a lot of questions that you were asking to help educate yourselves and to – help your boys be as successful as possible.
1: Uh, Jennifer, piece of advice you would have? Yeah, um, I probably have two. I can get it down to that many. Um, First and foremost, take people up on the help that they offer and tell them specifically what you need. Um, People don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. So let them know if it's a healthy meal, if it's um, an ear, whatever it is that you need, Take them up on what they're offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is let go of the guilt. For all the the moms out there watching and listening, uh, just if you can't pump, pump as many times as you want to that day, if you uh, aren't getting to see them as for this care time or that care time, just let go of the guilt. You're doing everything you can for your child and just feel good about that.
0: Yes. What a great note to end on. Thank you both for sharing your personal story. So excited for the boys to be heading to kindergarten this Thanks fall. So, yeah. And really grateful for you being here. Thanks for having Thank us. This episode of the Today is a Good Day podcast is brought to you with support from Life Celebration by Givnish and KeyBank.